Psalm 55. So I'll give you a minute to, to turn there. Working our way through the book of Psalms. And you know what's neat? I was watching, you guys, is anyone watching the Bible on History Channel? Yeah. yeah. You're going you're gonna to see, well, you already saw, if you just watched last, last Sundays, you saw what's going what's gonna to occur or what David is referring to in one of the Psalms that, we, that we're going to speak of tonight. And, you know, <clears throat> we're a visual, you know, being. So a lot of times, you know, we can read the word and it's, and it's great and God will, by his spirit, he will, you know, impart wisdom and knowledge to us about him and his word. But sometimes seeing it, you know, and I'm not giving it 100%, uh, you know, my, my thumbs up because there are some things that have, uh, that obviously are artistic license that are not completely true to the word, but... Um, you know, the characters, you know, like Saul, like King Saul. You know, you never really, if, unless you really think about it deeply, you never really understand that the jealousy that must have been there, you know, the, the, you know and the hatred for David, you know, that he, he chased after him so long and, um, and you know, he, he was crazed. You know, it's said in the, in the movie that he was obsessed, you know, he, you know, Saul was just obsessed with going after David. So a lot of the Psalms, you know, that we that we read and study are about those those things that David went through, and especially about those times where Saul was just, you know, he was relentless, you know, in chasing after him, and and, and it was all because of the the jealousy, because you know David was sort of rising in the ranks, and of course he was, you know, going going to be the next king, and. Um, you know, I, I love, you know, just seeing, you know, the, the prophets being represented in, in, the sh- in the show. So I think for the most part it's pretty good, and it, and it does. But, well, you know what's neat? I'm using my Bible as I'm, fo- as I'm watching the show, and I'm sort of following along. So you can, yeah, you know, because, and it skips, it skips around. I mean, there's big, big, wide swaths of Scripture that they just skip over just so they can get through it. But you can pretty much follow it along. And then you can say, oh, yeah, this is good. Ah, this is a little off. And, and so, you know, I think that's a great way to do it. So anyway, just a little bit of uh, what I'm doing as I'm watching the show. But I, I love how it just sort of fits in. And, of course, Pastor Joe taught through First Samuel um, already and is going through Second Samuel. So we see a lot of parallels here. Um, so Psalm 55, a lament, a lament of David. With heartfelt prayer, he seeks divine intervention for his situation. And he prays that God will take him out of his desperate circumstances. And I, I like that about David. He prays for the greatest possible solution to his problems. Knowing that God is able to give him the greatest possible outcome. Knowing that with God anything is possible. So he doesn't pray small, David. And I think that's a great lesson for us, not to pray small. You know, not to pray for the least of what we think that God can do. Not to put, not to diminish God's awesome power and his desire to give us even more than we can abundantly ask or think, as the scriptures say. So pray big. David prays big. He prays for the greatest possible solution. Now, God could have removed David's problems from him, just as he can remove our problems, just as he can take us out of the situations that we find ourselves in that are, that are difficulty, that are, that are a hardship to us. God can do that. He can remove any of these problems from our lives. But for his own reasons, and sometimes reasons that we may never know, he will allow us to go through them. And he allows David to go through them. You know, many times he brings us through them so that he gets the glory. And the, the adversity that we go through is usually for our good. Ultimately, when we look back, it's for our good. 
And it is for His glory. Because how we respond as we go through difficulties tells us a lot about our relationship with God and tells others, too. If we panic and, and try to solve it on our own or, uh, or, or, or even run, as it says in, in, in this psalm here, like David wanted to do, it reveals a lack of trust in God. You know, and, and you know, we're all susceptible. We all fall into that from time to time because sometimes difficulties can get so, they can be so, so overwhelming, you know, that we just don't trust that God's even, um, even knows or sees. If we remain peaceful and content no matter what, it reveals our belief that God loves us and that he hasn't left us, that he hasn't forsaken us in the midst of those things. And so, you know, we'll see, we'll see David here in this psalm more in that second um, camp where he, he reveals his faith and his trust in God. So, verses 1 through 3. To the chief musician with stringed instruments, a contemplation of David. Give ear to my prayer, O God. And do not hide yourself from my supplication. Attend to me and hear me. I am restless in my complaints and I moan noisily because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me and in wrath they hate me. So we see here that David begins his prayer with a plea for God to hear him. And we can pray like that because sometimes we think that God isn't listening. Sometimes we think that God doesn't hear us. And so we can, we can pray like that too. God, please hear my prayers. And then he prays for God to attend to his prayers, to minister in that need. But he's still, and a lot of times, parts of these psalms are more of a complaint to God than they are a real prayer, but that can be, that can be a part of a prayer, like a complaint. And he says in verse 2 that uh, it, he's losing sleep. He's restless in his complaint. And how many times we're restless. We're waiting for an answer for something. And we just, we toss and we turn and, you know, and, you know, it would be good maybe if we can't sleep, get up and, and commit it to the Lord in prayer. A lot of times that will actually give us rest. So the reason for his hopeless situation is because he has opposition coming against him. And, you know, we see this over and over in, in the Psalms that David's just continually going to the Lord in prayer because of the opposition that comes against him. And, and like I said, you know, the visual that we got, you know, of, of you know, Saul just enraged and, and bringing men to, to go after David you know, he was opposed. David was opposed greatly. And we will be opposed. A lot of times, our opposition comes from the mere fact that we are Christian. That we proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And that we do it, we're not ashamed of the gospel. And a lot of times, that's what our opposition will, be, will come from. People might hate us because of our faith. And we need to get used to it. But we can cry out to the Lord in that, and he'll hear us. Then in verses 4, four and 5, My heart is severely pained within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. Now he is very troubled by his circumstances. And when we go through those types of troubles... A lot of things can happen. He, he has physical issues because of it. You know, he says, my heart is pained. I don't know if that's a physical thing, actually, or if that's his, that's his soul deep inside him, but it could be. And he says, horror has overwhelmed me. You know, that's very expressive language. You know, what do we go through? that brings us to those situations or, or brings us to a point where we can agree with David. You know, it could be financial hardship. It could be trouble on the job. You know, uh, uh, there's a report that came out about the most stressful jobs, you know, and, and they have a list of 
stressful jobs. You know, a lot of people have just day, daily, day by day by day, every time they go to their workplace, there's stress there. You know, there could be, it could be physical issues that are going on in our, in our life. Maybe, you know, uh, you know, a physical need that, you know, is, is, uh, is something that we're bringing to the Lord and He hasn't dealt with it yet in a way of healing. You know, or maybe he won't. Maybe there's family strife. Maybe there's division within a family. You know, and, and those things that can bring trouble into our lives. All of these things and more can overwhelm us. But what is our response? Again, it always comes back to that. How do we respond to those things? David, his initial response is to run. In verses 6 through 8, it says, So I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. Selah. I would, I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. You know, how many times that we say, you know, I'm just going to run away from this situation. You know, I'm just going to go as far as I can. But, you know, if you really think about it, doesn't trouble sort of follow you wherever you go? No, you can't really get away from it. You know, you can go to a different location, you can move to a different state, you can, you can change jobs, but, you know, in this life, you know, what did Jesus say? In John 16, he says, These things I've spoken to you, that in me you will have peace, but in this world you will have tribu tribulation. Right? So we should expect it. But then the other part of that verse, but be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. We become overcome with our troubles, but Jesus overcame them already for us, on our behalf. So David wanted to run away, and we ask God sometimes to allow us to escape, to 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 run away or get away from the troubles that we're in. But really, deep down, we know that that's not possible in this life. In this life, it's not possible. He seeks a hasty getaway, David. We must be careful not to ask to get out of our troubles too quickly. And why do I say that? Well, I'm just going to give us a, a little bit of an idea from Charles Spurgeon as to what he says about this. Some of the things that we actually miss out on if God took us away from our troubles too quickly. He says, number one, it would show rebellion against, against God. As if we know better than God what's good for us. So we pray for a hasty retreat or a hasty flight from our trials, but God may have something in that trial for us. So what we're saying to God is, God, I know better than you. I want to get away from this difficulty, even if you have something in this for me. And then Spurgeon says, would, it would manifest cowardly want of faith. Trusting ourselves rather than trusting God is what that means. So we, we pray for a hasty flight from our trial, and really... It speaks of trusting ourselves rather than God. And then Spurgeon says it would involve a loss of useful experience. And sometimes we say, okay, God, I've had enough useful experiences in my life. I don't need any more experience. But our trials can produce good results. What does it say in James? He says in, in, in verses 2 through 4 of chapter 1, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith, what does it do? It produces patience. But let patience have, it, have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So we pray to get away from our trials, and God's saying, I want you to remain in that trial, because I have something in you that I'm producing through that trial. So Spurgeon says, not to pray too hastily for for, to get out of it. And then he says it could land us in actually worse trials. 
We may think we know how it'll turn out, but we don't know. You know, when we ask, when we ask God to remove us from something, he, we may be actually moving ourselves into something that's worse than what we're in. So trust God. Trust God. And then it prevents us from glorifying Him if we get removed from that trial too swiftly. See, God gets the glory on the other side of the trial. While we're going through it, He should get the glory then too. A lot of times we're too caught up in it though. But on the other side, we look back, God gets the glory for that. So, a lot of things that we miss out on, potentially, when we pray for God to remove us from those things. So I love that perspective that Spurgeon gives us on that verse, that verse 8, to hastily remove us from that. So in verses 9 through 11, Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around in it on its walls, Iniquity and trouble are also in the midst of it. Destruction is in the midst. Oppression and deceit do not depart from its streets. So David now is praying God confuse them, basically. You know, and, and he recognizes that the, the effect that the wicked can have really on an entire society. You know, that, that you know, as, they, as, as they are wicked and evil that it can bring down a society. And David recognizes that. So he prays for God to, to deal with that situation. In verses 12 through 14, For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it the one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, my man of equal, my companion and my acquaintance, we took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of, the, of God in the throng. Worse than an enemy coming against us is a, a friend or a so-called friend or a companion. You know, we can almost accept and expect it from someone who we know hates us. You know, that's to be expected. Okay, I know I'm not going to garner any, you know, good feelings from this person. So we can sort of prepare ourselves for that. But how about a friend, a former friend, a brother or sister in the Lord? How about the person sitting next to you at church <laughs> looking at each other? Each week and finding... That they have, that they're trying to come against you in some way. Wouldn't that hurt you more? Wouldn't that pain your heart even more? And that's what David is saying here. He's saying, he's saying, worse than any enemy is a former friend or a companion. Somebody, that, he says here, we take sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God. Imagine coming in to the house of God with someone and, and then finding out later that, that they've, been, they've been gossiping about you or, or spreading rumors or, or speaking ill of you, you know? So David then prays the imprecatory part of this psalm. In 15 through 18, he says, Let death seize them. Let them go down alive into hell. For wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. He has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many against me. You know, and, and you know, sometimes we get a little bit... I know when I read these verses that, that David is praying for God to destroy the wicked, to... You know, to, to, you know, let death seize them, he says. Let them go alive into hell. You know, when I read those, I, I cringe a little bit. I don't know. I, could, I don't pray like that about my enemies. You know, I, I guess, you know, David is showing us, you know, where, you know, the extreme, maybe, in our prayers for God to, to, to deal with those things. 
And then David is, David is beginning to recognize, though, that God's hand is upon, has been upon the situation the whole time. Because he says, God saves and redeems us from our enemies there. And it's in his time, not our own. And then in verse 19, he says, God will hear and afflict them, even he who abides from of old, Selah. So expressing confidence that God's going to deal with the situation. And why? Because they do not change. Therefore, they don't fear God. See, they're living in their own world with themselves on the throne. And that's why, that's why God will judge. Because they don't change. They don't desire to change. They don't fear God. He has put forth his hands against those who were at at peace with him. He has has broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Devious they were. They make like their friends when they're really seeking your destruction. Then in verse 22 he says, Cast your burden upon the Lord, he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. And as we prayed earlier, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. But you, O God, shall bring them down to a pit of destruction. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. So moving from complaint to prayer to judgment to trust. You know, all, all in those verses of the psalm. And you know our prayer can go in those stages. You know, as we as we pray and we we start to get ministered to within our prayer time, you know, or maybe just reflect or sit and just listen and see how God ministers, you know, after our prayer. You know, we don't know if if David wrote all of this at one sitting or if he prayed for part of it, you know, and then just waited on the Lord. You know, when it says selah, that means to just, it's a pause and, and a contemplation. So, you know, it's possible that David just stopped at those points and waited to receive from the Lord. You know, and our prayer can be that too. You know, so sometimes we rush through our prayers. Sometimes our prayers, you know, are, are you know, we, we carve out a, a portion of time and, and, then, and that's it. Sometimes, you know, we need to just sit and wait, you know, and contemplate how God's going to answer. Okay, so Psalm 56. To the chief musician set to the silent dove in distant lands. So we know the song that this was supposed to be sung to. A mictum of David when the Philistines captured him in Gath. Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me, O Most High. So it's almost a continuation of of 55, or a rehashing of Psalm 55, those same complaints. But in verses 1 and 2, David expresses the contrast of God's relationship with him and man's relationship with him. God is merciful. Man is usually hard-hearted. Man, God protects and provides. Men usually oppress and seek their own. God is gracious. Man is unrelenting in his, in his, in his wickedness. So David rightfully asks for God's mercy and places the, sort of, the source of his oppression on the enemy. You know, as people of God, our enemies will always be motivated by the main enemy of our souls, and that's Satan. And then in verse 3 and 4, Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? So David recognizes here his his frailty and his weakness. 
and his his fe- his fear even so fear I, fear is is not a sin necessarily if we remain in that and dwell in that and and, and sort of let it let it overshadow what we do then then yeah it can be but here david admits his frailty and then he also admits that god that he can trust in god because really what can man do to him you know he's going to put all of his faith and trust in god and that's the encouragement that we get from those verses and from the word of god in general all day they twist my words verse 5 and their thoughts are against me for evil they gather together they hide they mark my steps when they lie in wait for my life those who seek to take us down take our words sometimes and they twist them have you ever had a problem with someone because they recall a conversation differently than you do you know and it's just simple little thing that can sort of take that relationship and strain it you know just because you know you, they've taken your words and they've sort of twisted them you know their thoughts may be t- evil toward us and so they have selective memory you know and even our gracious words can be twisted because they're just waiting to trap us that happens a lot you know, Jesus experienced that. Remember how many times the religious leaders would, would try to trap him in his words? In Matthew 9, it's, uh, verses 1 through 3, it says, So he got into a boat, Jesus, crossed over, and came to his own city. Then, behold, they brought out to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. He doesn't say you're healed of your paralysis. He says your sins are forgiven you. And at once, some of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemes. Now, how can they take your sins are forgiven you and turn it into blasphemy? How can they take the grace of God, the mercy of God, and twist it? Well, because they had evil in their heart. They had evil intent. And they were always trying to trap Jesus. And, men, and David is seeing the same thing in his enemies. They're, they're, they're always trying to trap him and they're taking his words and, and they're twisting them around. And he says they gather together. You know, a lot of times those who have evil thoughts towards you they sort of gather co-conspirators on their side. People who, can, who they can come then in, you know, in more than one. So you know, there's power in that number. And they'll come against you. Then in verses 7 through 9, David writes, they shall, shall they escape by iniquity? In anger cast down the peoples of God. You number my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. So see David turning here to trust. How reassuring to know that God will deal with our enemies because he loves us so intimately. He knows us so intimately. He knows where we are at all times. And that can be reassuring and a little frightening at the same time, but... He collects our tears in his bottle. I love that. It says, in your bottle. And he writes them. He knows us so intimately. He writes our troubles and our trials in his book. He has a a little notepad to put it in human terms. And he's taking notes He knows every single thing that you're going through, that I'm going through. He never misses a time when we're in need. He's fully aware of our circumstances. And we know that he loves us. We know it, David writes. 
Then in verses 10 through 13, In God I will praise his word. In the Lord I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. I will render praises to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Have you not kept my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? Because of his word, we can trust him. It's the trustworthiness of the word of God, of the scriptures, that's reassuring to us. Because the Bible gives us so many examples of God's faithfulness, doesn't it? So many examples that he's always faithful. The difference between trusting man and trusting God is that man is untrustworthy for the most part. God is always faithful. And we may fear man because we're not sure. You know, there's, that, there's never that 100% confidence in man that we have confidence in God who never fails. You know, in, in Philippians 1.6, because he loves us and he knows us and he desires to continue that work that he's doing on, in us, we can be confident because it says being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Are you confident that God is with you and is working all of these things out in your life because it's part of who he's making you? He's going to complete that work. And we can be confident in that. And then, you know, David speaks about his vows to the Lord. He says, I, a vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. Now, I don't know if it's good or bad to make vows. Sometimes we make vows in the midst of a trial. We say, God, just get me out of this and I will, whatever. I will be more diligent in my daily devotions. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll pray more often, Lord. I'll, I'll serve more, God. Just get me through this trial. You know, those vows that we make in the midst of trials sometimes sort of fade away, you know, when everything's going well. When the trial's behind us, we forget our vows. But David's saying, no, the vow I make to you, God, it's binding upon me. So if we, if we make a vow and, and God's faithful in that, let it be binding upon you. Let your word be true especially a vow that you make to God. Um, Psalm 57. To the chief musician set to do not destroy. So this is the song that this psalm is to be sung to. Do not destroy. A mictum of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. So if you saw the the show the other night, that was one of the instances where David fl was fled to the cave. And remember uh, when Saul came in looking for him and, and, um, and David went up and he sort of, he cut off a piece of his robe. And then he showed him, I could have killed you, Saul, but I didn't. And, and it says it here in, in, uh, in 1 Samuel 26, but David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. See, that's the title of the of that's in the title of the psalm. So maybe that has something to do with it. Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed, and be guiltless? Although David was being pursued relentlessly by Saul, even when he had his chance, he did no harm to Saul, trusting that God would make things right. So in verses 1 through 3, it says, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For my soul trusts in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will make refuge until these calamities have passed by. I will cry out to God Most High, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. 
Again here, David expressing confidence in, in the Lord to accomplish his righteous judgment. And we can seek refuge in him because he desires to manifest his grace and mercy in tangible, real ways in our life. And, and, and I love that, the confidence that we can have. Then in verses 4 through 6, My soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have pre- prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit for me. Into the midst of it, they themselves have fallen. Selah. Again, David's not praying for God to take him out of this situation, but for God to sustain and preserve him through us. He wants God, he wants God to, to make himself real to him, to reveal himself to him in the midst of it. And then he says in verses 7 through 11, My heart is steadfast, O God. And then he repeats it. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake my glory. Awake lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations. For your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above the earth. Praise. Praise. The result of a steady heart of trust toward God. You know, when we don't have, when our heart is unsteady, we waver. We waver back and forth because of the situation and the circumstances. David is saying, my heart is steadfast on you, Lord. My heart, you know, and the scripture says that David had a heart, uh, was after God's own heart. So his heart was in tune with God's heart. And it was steadfast because God is steadfast. And so let allow praise to be the result of that, to, a result of a steadfast heart, a heart that doesn't waver in circumstances. And then we're going to move on. Uh, Psalm 58. To the chief musician set to do not destroy... Now, this is another psalm set to the same song, a mictum of David. The same subscription as the last psalm, do not destroy. And now, we don't know. It's, it's probably just the tune that this psalm is to be sung to, but it could also have a meaning as far as do not destroy whom. David might be praying, do not destroy me, Lord, or Maybe do not even destroy completely the wicked. And we're going to see that too. So in verses 1 through 5. Do you indeed speak righteousness, you silent ones? Do you judge uprightly, you sons of men? No, in, your, in heart you work wickedness. You weigh out the violence of your hands in the earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the deaf cobra that stops its ear, which will not hear heed to the voice of charmers, charming ever so skillfully. Now, I'm not sure. It sounds like hyperbole that David says they are wicked right out of the womb. You know, I mean, babies, they're so cute. They're so harmless. It doesn't take them that long, though, to start to, you know, express their true heart. It doesn't take them, I don't know about as soon as they are born. They, of course, they don't speak lies. They speak babble. But, you know, it's, it's true. It's true. It, it doesn't take us long to start going down that, that path. And then they don't and then they don't hear, they don't heed, you know, the, the warnings. You know, like like a, a cobra that's that stops his ear from the de- from the uh, snake charmers. They don't hear that 
you know, that charming sound that sort of brings that cobra into a state of, you know, of relaxation. So he describes the wicked in that way. And, you know, sometimes we don't hear, we don't heed those warning signs that God's given to us. And then, again, the imprecatory portion of this psalm, which David prays in verses 6 through 8, break their teeth in their mouth, O God. He's really holding back here, right? (laughs) Break out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them flow away as waters which run continually. When he bends his bow, let his arrows be as if cut in pieces. Let them be like a snail that melts away as it goes, like a stillborn child of a woman that they may not see the sun. So David's really, you know, praying harsh words, you know. You know, our prayer can be for God to mete out justice. And, and, and I think in, in our modern vernacular, we would probably just say, God, mete out your justice, you know. Be, 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 be just and righteous in your, in your judgment of the wicked, Lord. And then in verses 9 through 11, it says, Before your pots can feel the burning thorns, he shall take them away with a whirlwind, and as in his living and burning wrath. The righteous shall rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. So that men will say, surely that there is a reward for the righteous. Surely he is God who judges in the earth. So David here is saying swiftness, the swiftness of God's just, justice and judgment upon the wicked is like a pot that when it's set over the fire, you know, before the pot even gets hot. That's how swift God's justice is you know, to the wicked, you know, and again, it's in his timetable. We don't sometimes see it as swift. Sometimes we see it as very slow. God, when are you going to deal with them? When are you going to judge them? But here it says in, in the word that God is swift when it comes to that. Remember, he sees the end from the beginning and, and, he, and God is outside of time, you know, so one day is as a thousand years to God. So, again, and a thousand years like a day. So, God's time is different than ours. So, swiftness that we can, we can depend on and count on. And then in Psalm 59. To the chief musician set to do not destroy. So, I guess David liked this song. <laughs> he continued to use it as the tune uh, to, to sing the, the psalms to. A victim of David when Saul sent men and they watched the house in order to kill him. The superscription again tells of that song, Do Not Destroy. And then um, I'm just going to read a portion of 1 Samuel 19.9 so you can see the context that David is writing in. It says here, Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing music with his hand, then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. Remember in the, in the scene in the, in the movie when Saul threw his spear and it landed in the wall right next to David's, to David's head. That's what he wanted to do. He sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence. And he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and kill him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. So we see the situation here, the context that David is is writing uh, this psalm and the lament and the pleading of David for God to defend him. In verses 1 through 5, Psalm 59, Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity, and save me from bloodthirsty men. For look, 
They lie in wait for my life. The mighty gather against me. Not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves through no fault of mine. Awake to help me and behold. behold. You therefore, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Do not be merciful to any wicked transgressors. Selah. Again, David praying for intervention by God and for him to be complete in his judgment. At evening they return. They growl like a dog and go around, this, and go around all the city. Indeed, they belch with their mouth. Swords are in their lips, for they say, Who hears? Notice, the wicked prefer to do their deeds in the dark. Come back, they return in the evening, it says in verse 6. And we, we read and studied that when uh, we went through John chapter 3, where it says, And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So it's always been like that. Men love the darkness because their deeds are evil. So they return in the evening. And then in verse 7, they either deny that God exists or they deny that God cares about their evil ways because because they say, who hears? Or in other words, who knows? Who knows the evil that I'm doing? So they either deny that God is there at all or they deny that, they, that he cares what they're doing. And I think sometimes, because they aren't dealt with swiftly, or we aren't dealt with, you know, God's long-suffering for us, you know. Sometimes people can mistake that for, for God disregarding their, our weakness, our wickedness. Sometimes we can we can mistake God's long-suffering and grace for him to condoning or turning aside and not caring about our wickedness. Then in verses 8 through 10, it says, But you, O Lord, shall laugh at them. You shall have all the nations in derision. I will wait for you, O you, his strength, for God is my defense. My God of mercy shall come to meet me. God shall let me see my desire on my enemies. So in our, in our vernacular, God will have the last laugh, David's saying. You know, that God, that God will defend, and it's, his, it's in his strength that he has confidence. Do not slay them, verse 11, lest my people forget Scatter them by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride. And for the cursing and lying which they speak, consume them in wrath, consume them, that they may not be, and let them know that God rules in Jacob to the ends of the earth. Selah. So, again, going back to the title where it says, Do not destroy He says here in verse 11, do not slay them. You know, if the wicked were completely and utterly destroyed, people would forget. People would would forget the lessons that, that we learn from God's justice. So, so David is saying, do not slay them completely. He prays more for God to disrupt them than to completely destroy them. And again, a, a repeat of previous verses. And at evening they return and growl like a dog. They go all around the city, wander up and down for food, and howl if they're not satisfied. Again, they come back in the darkness, seeking for someone to destroy. But I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. For you have been my defense and refuge in the day of trouble. For you, O my strength, I will sing praises. For God is my defense, my God of mercy. Now David here ends in praise. Like many times as he works through the psalm, 
he ends praising the Lord and praising God for these these wonderful, awesome attributes. Power. He says, I will sing of your power. God is able to do what we can't do. He's able to protect and keep us by his power. And then he sings of his mercy. You know, mercy is not getting what we deserve. In contrast to the wicked who eventually do get what they deserve, we are shown mercy by God. And then he sings of his defense. When we're being accused, God vindicates us. God's our defense attorney. You know, it says in the scriptures that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He accuses us daily. And God defends us. And God is our refuge, our safe haven, our sanctuary when we're in trouble. And then God is our strength. When we're weak, he's strong. And I'm just going to close with the verses that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10. He says, And he said to me, God said to me, you know, Paul had been praying for God to remove this infirmity. And what did God say? He said, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. In our weakness, God is strong. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities than that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When we are weak, God is strong in our lives. Then in verse 10, he says, Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, and in distresses. All of the things that we see David was going through. We take pleasure in those things for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. Let's pray.